This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Kansas City, Missouri Police Department under the microscope for spending, for policy, for lots of things. That's our topic today on Deep Background. Well, greetings. You're on Deep Background for the 18th of June, 2020. Dave Helling with the STARS Editorial Board joining you, along with my colleague and friend Derek Donovan of the Editorial Board. And today we want to talk about the police department in Kansas City and the stories that have swirled around uh, that department over the last couple of weeks. And we have two great reporters to talk about it. Glenn Rice, my friend with the STAR. Glenn, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And, and Mike Hendricks of the STAR joining us as well. Mike, great to have you on the podcast. Yo. Okay, great. Well, let's talk about the police department, sort of the story you guys worked on a little bit about spending and budgets and how that works. And then we can move into the challenges that the department faces both monetarily and non-monetarily going forward. Glenn, let's start with you. You guys did some work on how much the police department in Kansas City actually spends compared to other cities, and the the general sense I got from your story and Mike's story and Luke's story was that, that we spend more in Kansas City than other Midwestern peer cities uh, uh, do. Give us some background. The budget is $270 million. How does mm -hmm. that work? Well, every year, uh, as you know, the amount of money that the city allocates to the police department has increased uh, incrementally over the past couple of years. Now, comparison to that to a city like Minneapolis, uh, they spend about $189 million. Uh, further down, your hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, spends about $160 million, while regionally, KCK spends about $60 million, Overland Park, $43 million. So every year, uh, the police department uh, lobbies the city council to increase its funding primarily for additional police officers to hire, uh, other equipment needs, other services that they are in uh, that they need to take care of. So there's always been a debate as to once the city hands over this money, there's very little that it can do in terms of how the spending is directed. Uh, the uh, police, the police commissioners, police board uh, through uh the uh, chief of police kind of directs that money into various forms. Uh, that's always been a bone of contention for previous mayors, in particular Sly James. You know, we give you all this money, but tell us how you're going to spend it and what you're going to do in order to reduce crime. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you and I have covered City Hall at Glen as well for, for years, and it seems like the same story every year. The police department wants X. The city council trims it a couple of million bucks but basically fulfills the requests of the department. And you get this inflation, don't you, and what the de uh, department actually gets in tax dollars and how much it spends. Yes, Mike? Uh, yeah. you do. <clears throat> yes, indeed you do. But it, uh, 
uh, you have to take into account, I guess, the, that most of those uh, expenditures, like 86.5%, I think, are for personnel. So, and personnel costs go up. You've got union contracts. Uh, you got the pay raises. You've got uh, uh, the cost of uh, administering the pension fund has been rising. Uh, there was an imbalance a few years ago, like 10 years ago, the uh, police department paid more for health insurance than it did on its pension um if that, that's not flip-flopped uh, together. Uh, they, 23, 22% of the budget uh, goes just to that. Is there any evidence? Yeah, Mike, I'll start with you and then go to Glenn. Is there any evidence here or anywhere that the amount of money you spend on the police department translates into reduced crime or increased crime? I mean, is there any relationship between police department spending and whether or not a city is is faces a violent crime problem, which of course is what most people care about. Well, we didn't go into that uh, much, so I, I don't have any data uh, yeah. on that, other than the fact that we 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 do know that the the uh, Kansas City budget has increased, and at the same time, so has uh, the number of violent crimes. The murders are uh, off the charts now, so we don't see a definite reflection there. Uh, overall, nationwide, there's a, an argument that that you don't see a cost benefit um, between the two. and But there there may or may not be figures to support that. We did not uh, uh, have the time to really do an in-depth yeah. look at that. Yeah, because Glenn, I mean, it, it, you know, common sense tells you if you eliminated police funding tomorrow, crime would go up. But if you spend a billion dollars on police, you'd still have crime. So it's always a challenge, isn't it, to sort of reach that balance? Yeah, of course it is. I think the... Uh the conventional wisdom or prevailing thought is that having more police officers will reduce crime. I, I'm not too sure if that's necessarily true. Uh, one thing that police will tell you, they can't prevent two people living in the same household or engaged in some type of altercation at a bar, at a park, how police is going to intercede in that argument and prevent a shooting or another form of physical violence from taking place. I think what most people feel that there's a need for is to have police to have a presence in the community, not so much a patrolling as an invading army, but have some level of engagement on a common everyday level in which people are feel comfortable talking with police. There's greater interaction with them, uh, not just uh, providing services for uh, general needs. Like, for example, uh, at least every department, every patrol division in Kansas City has what's called community interaction officers. What they do is if there's a problem with the neighborhood, it's more like a Band-Aid approach. They'll find resources to take care of that problem, whether it be a tree limb that has fallen into the street or whether uh, there's a house uh, with that's been vacant, but kids throw rocks at it. You know, what is it to be done that? Most people want people to uh, want police to have interaction with them. So if, there, if something does percolate, they can go to that officer and say, hey, folks down the street are having problems. Why don't you go down and try to mediate or talk to them? And they don't have a sense they have that kind of policing now, do they, Glenn? Or do they? You are correct. Yeah, you are correct in that sense. Uh, and uh, talking with neighborhood leaders, the CI, the community, community interaction officers do a great job in terms of attending neighborhood meetings, sharing crime stats 
doing things of that nature. But it's the beat cops, the cops on the street. People want that uh, that 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 immediate uh, interaction with them, uh, so that when things can either you know just our presence would would really eliminate a lot of the the problems. The I won't say the broken glass theory, but something that's more akin to that, where if you know there's a police officer around the corner, you know, people tend to uh, uh, not be willing to commit certain types of low level or even quality of life crimes. Both advocates and critics of police departments will acknowledge the fact that so many people's interaction with law enforcement happens at moments of crisis for them at inflections when there's an argument, when there's something going wrong. And I've got a very interesting guest commentary that's coming on Friday from Annette Lance Simmons, who is executive director of the Center for Conflict Resolution here in Kansas City. It's a nonprofit that has counselors and mediators who try to work out differences before they become violent. So if you think about the goal being de-escalation of an argument before it becomes violent, there's a lot of value in that. And so what some people who are talking about defunding the police are really meaning is that we ought to be putting more resources into these mediators and counselors who can head off problems. Have you seen any sort of movement in the Kansas City Police Department toward that approach to conflict resolution? Well, uh, under previous administrations, the Dara Forte, he was a big advocate for de-escalation as well as de-disengagement uh, so that you wait out a situation. Uh, I've done ride-alongs with police officers and they go from call to call to call to call. And so uh, I do agree that if there's another element in which, uh, I don't know, is police directly can help solve uh, issues uh, before they per- uh bubble up, then that will save a lot of resources. I mean, there are times in which during my ride along that they were blacked out, meaning that there's calls that were coming in and they can respond to because they were at a previous call. But also in many cases, it turned out none of the calls we went on necessitated in an arrest is just checking vacant buildings. But one thing I did notice with officers that I was uh, teaming that I went along with, they made an effort to make, uh, Proactive stops, stopping by a liquor store, uh, seeing a bunch of people who uh, outside of a motorcycle uh, club just to engage them to know that, hey, we're here uh, if you need us for other reasons. But also be mindful if you step out of line, we're going to be there to uh, take care of that as well. So, Mike, Mike, Mike Hendricks, this all comes up, of course, in the context of defund the police, whatever that means in Kansas City. Support for the police department seems fairly strong, always has. Public opinion polls, citizen surveys show that most people think the police do well. They do get worried when call times are, you know, it takes too long when you call 911 or it takes too long for an officer to show up. But after the events of the last two weeks, does that change in a way that impacts how the department is, in your view, operator, run, or spends its money? In other words, is there public pressure for the for the department in your mind to reevaluate how it spends money? I don't see I don't see that there's maybe pressure's not the word, but I think there's a desire and and desire of many, if not most, and a pressure from some uh, nationwide to uh, to rethink what how police resources are 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 used. And yes, they support the police, but I think there's this this whole movement. We've seen it in uh, San Francisco and and uh, Portland and some other places where they're trying to direct uh, this whole notion of of 
of bringing in social service folks, like as, as Derek mentioned, people who are able, who aren't carrying a gun to, uh, to deal with a lot of problems. Uh, and that, uh, that could be solved without um, coming to a, you know, a, a, something coming to an arrest. And that's something that people are really thinking, and I think thinking about it here as well, but there's not been no concrete proposals. Key to that, though, is, is at the same time when they do that, I mean, police officers also don't, and police departments also would rather not um, go on those calls oftentimes. The deal is, though, if you suddenly transferred some of those duties to someone else, would police departments be willing to, to give up the money? that was devoted to those officers. Uh, by Rice, they should, but there's going to be a lot of pushback from unions right. and departments. And, and Glenn, jump in here, but there will be resistance from sort of rank-and-file cops too, won't there? I mean, you know, the idea that a police officer is a social worker first, and I don't think any of us who cover this, you know, are, have any disillusions about, uh, you know, the kind of calls, the kind of people who – you know, obviously have some have mental health issues that need to be dealt with. And yet rank and file cops seem less than enthusiastic, maybe about de-escalating in those contexts. Am I right or wrong? Uh, I, I, I don't know uh, if that is totally the case in terms of that. I think my feeling and my sense of those who I've communicated with is that they want to be accessible to the public. They want to be the problem solvers uh, when they can. No officer wants to, uh, contrary to proper belief, wants to pull their gun. They want to go home safe like any anybody else. I've seen cases in which police officers have tried to avoid, uh, uh, you know, even issuing tickets. Uh, but uh, but the thing is, uh, 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 you know, they're not social workers. I don't think they see themselves as that. I think with the argument about having some type of social, I think you probably need mental health advocates at the ready to respond to those certain calls. Uh, but it'll take a lot to a train or to acquire those, those that staffing to retrain officers, to identify that uh, they do have crisis intervention training. Some, a lot of officers receive that certification that uh, so they can respond to incidents like that. I think that, uh, uh, Officers want to do what they can. They want to go home at the end of the night and uh, and and be safe. And All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk with Glenn and Mike and Derek about the proposed or, or suggested or discussed cuts in police spending and what role the FOP will play in all of this. Let's take a break. You're on Deep Background. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. 
By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to kansascity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Dave Helling, back now on Deep Background, the Stars podcast with Derek Donovan, my co-host and a fellow member of the editorial board, Glenn Rice, and Mike Hendricks uh, joining us to talk about the police department and spending and issues related to that. Uh, Mike, uh, let's start with you. You wrote the story on the discussion at the police board earlier this week, uh, sort of a thought exercise. Uh, about what will happen if there has to be major uh, reductions in spending in the department because of COVID and because of the reduced revenue to the city. And I do think we got a little, I watched some of it and you got the idea that the department was engaged a little bit in, you know, the old statue of Liberty uh, <laughs> defense, which is, Hey, if you cut our spending, we're going to close the statue of Liberty, <laughs> you know, but, but, but there would be, you know, if you have to cut $10 million out of the police budget, there would be some changes, right? Well, it's like, uh, <clears throat> like I think it's uh, Deputy Chief uh, True, uh, Karen True said that uh, Ernest Rouse, the acting city manager, had, had asked all the departments to come up with a, I think a plan, basically, for or how or proposal on how, they, how a 4.5% uh, budget cut would affect them. And while you say it's a thought exercise, I think it's more than that. And, um, I think or they will really, be more than that at some point. Yeah. So the effect that she said was that uh, the 10 points, because of that, the fact that 86 point some percent of the budget is personnel, that the only way to really come up with that $10.6 million would be to cut personnel. What she said, I think, would be about 212 positions. Uh, she didn't. She didn't uh, break that down as to civilian and 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 uh, sworn officers, but she said there's about 89, I think about 89 uh, empty positions right now. So they still have to figure out a way to, to uh, cut the rest down, either through attrition or an early retirement plan. But let me add to that. She said if it, they came up with an early retirement plan, as many of us know, that costs money as well. Yes. Uh, that would be wherever they come up with the money for those those buyouts. Yeah, Mike Hendricks and Dave Helling understand early retirement mathematics pretty strongly. Uh, uh, Glenn, uh, you know, is the department going to be able to find $10 million if it needs to? I mean, they're, you know, and, and it doesn't seem, again, this gets back to the idea of how popular or unpopular police are. There was a time in Kansas City where the, the police department and the fire department was protected in a way that, say, the parks department would not be or, or public works that attitude, when budget cuts come, that attitude seems to be changing a little bit. Uh, yeah, slightly, but I, I've, I think at the end of the day, they're going to find the money. Uh, they may trim certain areas. You may, I, I don't know how they would approach that ten million dollar cut. Uh, I don't not, I do not see them closing patrol divisions. I do not see them furloughing or laying off uh, police officers per se. Uh, I think some activities. Uh, that happened behind the scenes probably will be adjusted to account for uh, uh, those cuts. Uh, I don't think, as we see it right now, uh, things will change much. But in talking with several council people, particularly Melissa Robinson, 
they they want to uh, be able to create some benchmarks for the department in terms of, of of you know you have to do A, B, and C in order to get the full uh, amount uh, of the funds that they are seeking. So I think that those questions are going to be more uh, elevated as we, you know, of course, obviously the budget process is over. They have the money, uh, but I think some more conversation is going to be held in terms of, of, are they getting the most bang for their buck? Yeah. And, and that's because Glenn, and, and I'll come to you, Mike, that's because we're still wrestling with this state control board of police commissioners uh, standard in Kansas city. The, 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 and the most amazing thing in the story you guys wrote was the claim from Brad Lemon, who's head of the Fraternal Order of Police, that somehow Kansas City is not meeting or just barely meeting the 20% standard for funding the police in in state law when most of us believe that they're spending closer to 40% of the general fund on 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 police department. Mike, I noticed you wanted to chat. I mean, that was that's part of the problem, too. The council members are saying, look, we'll give you the 20%, but the extra 20 you're not going to get until you do certain things. Well, I haven't, I've been off doing other things this week, so I haven't had a chance to really go and research uh, Lemon's claim. But I had, did get some emails from folks who, who, who uh, said that, 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 that some of this, uh, this, this pledge, this 20%, uh, predates the earnings tax, I think. And so I think that what they're saying is that the finances have changed and that 20% was based on a smaller pie, and the pie has grown in terms of revenue sources. That may be what he's talking about. Well, that seems like a. I'm just speaking here as a member of the editorial board. That's going to be a stretch to make that that argument. And of course, if the if the legislature wanted to make you know exempt the earnings tax or include it or whatever, they could certainly do that in language going forward. But isn't that part of the tension involved here? And you've talked about it uh, earlier, both of you. The the idea that the council writes the big check but doesn't get to say or doesn't get the kind of authority over how that money is spent as say another city council in Omaha or Overland Park or Minneapolis would get. But before we run out of time, Glenn, I'll go to you first. And then Mike, if you have anything you want to add, um, the fraternal order of police plays a role in all of this, doesn't it? Not just the money part of it, but the idea of changing rules and new training and excessive force and duty to intervene and just a little bit of news-ish. The current uh, agreement between the FOP and the Board of Police Commissioners expires at the end of next January, about six or seven months from now. Mm -hmm. The current agreement requires both sides to begin negotiations on a new contract by July 1 of this year, which is about two weeks away. So the FOP is going to play a big role in all of this, isn't it? They always have. Um, More so under this administration with this board, uh, because you do have Rick Smith who was a favor of the uh, FOP. Uh, so, so, so those things kind of come into play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how all those things kind of play out, uh, what role, uh, you know, because as you know, uh, the FOP played a major role in getting Quentin Lucas elected. Now he says, since all this stuff has happened with the protests, he has not, since the, he has not been in communication with the FOP while they, uh, while they have a presence every police board meeting, uh, he has indicated that they really haven't been in communication with one another. So he doesn't, you know, so, but it was also interesting that he wrote that letter yeah, to, uh, you know, to the police department, which I thought was kind of very interesting uh, uh, at the time and what it said and what it did not say. 
So, uh, yes, the FOP will have a major, major role in uh, uh, moving forward with the labor agreement, with the funding, with how the department is managed and uh, ran. Right. And Mike, if unless you get the FOP to do some buy in again, history show, shows us it's going to be get, uh, difficult to do any of the kind of changes that the police board and the mayor and others are talking about. Well, it would seem like it's just a really a this is great timing. I, my view, I mean, because if say if say they were doing it a year from now, then there there would be less impetus for it. Right. The, the iron's hot right now. It seemed like it would be a good time. But, right. And, but, uh, and right. And it's the opera because the contracts typically tend to be two or three years. So whatever they come up with is going to be in place well into the 2020s. And, uh, but, but, but experience again shows us that if the FOP resists a lot of this stuff, it's going to be very, very difficult to implement, not just the money, but all the new training and, and all the stuff we talked about in the first, first segment. So let me end with this question. Uh, and Glenn, maybe you're the best person since you do a lot of police department related stuff. Um, we've seen some evidence in other cities of blue flu where officers are quitting, they're walking away, they're calling in sick, that they're trying to make their, their concerns known. Do we face that in Kansas city? Uh, I, not at this point, there's no indication that the recent level protest has caused significant numbers of retirements and flat out, uh, uh, resignations. There's no evidence of that. I did, uh, was out in the streets, uh, the earliest week and ran into a police officer and I spoke with him and he's 52 years old. And he's like, I should have retired when I had an opportunity last year. But, uh, but you know, he said, considering all what's going on, he, you know, I, I don't know if he meant by what's happening on, out on the streets or maybe some things internal that officers deal with uh, amongst themselves. Uh, but he said he's, he's got nine more months. He's going to stay on because, you know, uh, there's more benefit in, in doing that. I do not know if there's going to be such thing as a blue flu. If officers are going to call in, are they going to quit or things of that nature? I don't see that happening here because I think the level of protest has really kind of died down. Uh, and even during the protest, uh, every officer that I ran into agreed that uh, the actions of what happened in Minneapolis was, was uh, uncalled for, unwarranted. They were vehemently opposed to that. They did not see why that uh, officer felt a need to do what he did to uh, George Floyd. And, and, you know, again, most officers want to have a good relationship with people who they serve. Uh, so uh, I don't see anything. I'll be surprised if something like that did happen. So let me just say that. All right. Great. Mike, anything you want to add at the end of the podcast here? This is an interesting time for the department, isn't it? Indeed it is. It'll be a great, uh, interesting to see what happens in, in the next year, see whether this all leads to the reforms that people were uh, hoping for or whether it will just be more of the same. All right. Great. Mike Hendricks with the star, Glenn Rice with the star, always great information, great stories. I recommend people Go to the website and click on them or dig out the paper from the trash if you still have it floating around somewhere. Good stories and, of course, one that will be with us for a time. Derek Donovan, thanks so much, as always, for being with us to, uh, on the podcast uh, and to talk about these important issues. I'm Dave Helling with the STARS Editorial Board. You've been on Deep Background. Deep Background.